There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So, everybody, this is a uh, Sunday morning edition. It's a season recap edition of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. So we got to talk about the 25th year this year. This was probably one of the most insane hockey seasons us as Ducks fans have literally ever seen. It was supposed to be a year of celebration, the year that we saw much beloved captain return in Paul Correa uh, to the franchise. We were going to retire his jersey. Uh, we were going to see Scotty come back to the franchise here and get his jersey uh, retired this season as well. This was supposed to also be the year that John Gibson was going to stomp all over the naysayers about his Vesna quality, <laughs> how good of a goaltender he really is. Just wasn't in the cards for us this year. This was turned out to be a year of uh, record lows, and um, there were some bright spots along the way, guys, but nobody could have predicted just how bad this was going to be. But the silver lining across the whole season uh, for us Ducks fans is we have all these kids coming up and in the goals and in prospects and there is help along the way but uh boys what a hell of a year for the ducks i don't think any of us could have predicted how this was gonna go no it uh i mean did we all have a playoff team or were you the only one who, who didn't have i had a miss in the playoffs yeah not so, by yeah, this I, much but i had a miss in the playoffs yeah i i think i had them like middle second or third in the pacific and i know i'm pretty sure jay you had him in the playoffs too right so yes i had him in the playoffs i could not see uh the carlisle effect going as as horrible as it did <laughs> i mean it, it's just ridiculous the way the way it all panned out i mean it, it did result in a top 10 pick so there's some bright spot at the end of the tunnel but yeah i mean the expectations were high and we, we mentioned i think this was probably about five shows before the end of the the end of the season on one of the post game shows uh we were looking at teams and who was the biggest disappointment this year and, and the ducks have to be up there right because i think most people other than a few and you had them just barely missing the playoffs pat but i think that's generally what people have is they're either a playoff team almost guaranteed or a team that was just going to miss out by a couple points 
and uh, they missed out by a lot. Like, you know, the other teams who missed out, you were like, ah, okay, whatever. And then you had some surprises the other way with, you know, Montreal almost getting in, and then you also have the Islanders uh, almost winning their division. But the, the Ducks had to be the biggest disappointment, I think. Yeah, I guess uh, <clears throat> over expectations of what you thought they were going to do versus what they delivered. <clears throat> yeah, I can't think of any of the teams below them that um, I would have expected to, to make the playoffs. You know, your Detroit's, you know, um, maybe Florida's a little bit surprising. You thought maybe they might make it. But uh, other than that, yeah, from a standpoint of before season to end of season, uh, the Ducks are probably the biggest disappointment in the league or the, the most underachieving um, team, I would say, this season. It was pretty bad. It was it was pretty bad. I mean, uh, I don't want to blame anything particularly on one spot across the franchise because we kind of saw the writing on the wall in the playoffs, and I know that I've harkened back to that many times over the season when you're looking at the Sharks series from last year. We kind of thought that, um, wow, if that's how they're going to play, then how the hell is next season going to look? Because <laughs> screwed. Yeah, and then we, you see that uh, the Sharks upgrade. You know, They end up getting Eric Carlson. It starts to get a little scary in the Pacific Division. And then it turns out the Pacific Division is garbage, and the Ducks come out of the gate. And there go they go five one and one to start the season. And I remember we, we were talking about this, and it's like, okay, it seems good, but they were being well, they outshot, outchanced, <laughs> horrible, just un unreasonable amount of work being put in by the goaltenders <laughs> early on in the year. And it just kind of flipped on its head after they go five one and one. They go on a losing streak. We would see them hit another franchise losing streak at twelve games. Um, and then you kind of turn your your eyes to maybe it's injuries. You got these kids coming up. We got you know Troy Terry in the lineup, Sam Steele in the lineup. Maxim Comtois scores his first first NHL goal on his first shot on goal uh, in that Sharks game when they played coming out the gates here. Um, and then the kids would slowly be sent down, and you would really start to see, okay, we have some injuries too. Kessler, Perry, Patrick Eves not playing, but it kind of just all zeroes back in at least for me on the system. It, we start to look at Randy Carlisle the way that he's you know, running his defensive schemes, which, ugh, Jesus Christ, it was one of the hardest ones to watch. The guys just didn't know what they were doing. He wasn't making the pairs work. Um, but for me, it, it just kind of was the perfect mix from hell. Or like your vets <laughs> fell off a cliff statistically. The injuries mount up. Um, and the kids, some of the kids aren't ready early on in the beginning of the year. And then you look at Randy Carlisle and you're like, wow, why is he still here? And... Um, for me, that's just kind of was like it was just the perfect mix, and why not be on the better year of the 25th anniversary to celebrate the franchise? Yeah, I feel like they waited too long uh, to get rid of Carlisle. Um, you said you know you didn't want to say there was one thing that really kind of doomed the season. I'm willing to say it was the system, uh, almost 100 percent, because even though when they did have wins, when Carlisle was there. They were doing man-to-man defense. They changed up the defenseman that worked last year for whatever reason. I don't know. Once he left, things started figuring itself out. They played more of a zone defense. The shots came way down. I mean, I think they were on pace, I mean, I think like a quarter of the way through the season, to be the ones that averaged more shots than any team had ever done in history. (laughs) And uh, when their defense is that bad, uh, fortunately their goaltending really helped kind of uh, mask it early on. Uh, But then – you know, when your defense is that bad, you hope that you have offense. And once again, we're talking about the Anaheim team that could not score any offense because they're constantly playing defense poorly. Um, that there was even talk that they'd have a franchise low goals for an entire season. And it wasn't until after Carlisle was gone, those goals started coming back. And then, you know, obviously we, we went on a little bit of a, 
an upswing, especially in offense and defense. So I'm willing to paint the brush 100% that the – I won't say 100% because the players are somewhat uh, responsible too. But that system was just never going to work for, for these guys. And it just – it took too long of just banging their head against the wall before, you know, change had to happen from, from the head coaching side. If you like – or if you're an analytics guy this year, you – really liked what happened to the Ducks because they were outperforming what the analytics said they should have been, the way they should have been playing and the results they should have been getting earlier on in the season. Then things caught up to them and they fell off a cliff. And that's what you're looking for, right? I mean, that's what we saw and that's what we kind of expected based on the numbers early on is that the Ducks were winning games because they had some good goaltending and they were taking advantage of, of the slim opportunities that they had. And then eventually, you know, with because of the system, because other things, it just caught up to them, and they couldn't sustain that type of luck throughout the year. I mean, their PDO at one point was just insane. They were winning games out of pure luck over a, a pretty long stretch to start the season. They were actually pretty good record-wise for a while. Um, and then you have a team like Carolina, or the opposite, who, you know, they're analytics darlings of the league, and they, uh, they just haven't been able to figure it out. Obviously, they made the playoffs this year, but... It, it, it was something you would love if you're looking at that and saying, you know, this is what you kind of expected the Ducks season to be in the end based off all the numbers that they were putting up early on. Yeah, it just it made a lot of sense that this was the direction they were going to go. And let's get to some of those numbers. I, I kind of split up the season into two, like many people have. You look at Randy's team for the first 56 games, um, and then you have Bobby's team for the remaining there. And it's just two completely different teams. You're looking at Randy's team had the lowest expected goals at 5-on-5 in the NHL and the fourth lowest scoring chances for. And we're also league worse at high-danger chance percentage, meaning of the of the chances that uh, were in the house for either team at any given point in the game, the Ducks were on the worst end of that in the league through the first 56 games. And I, they, I know they suffered through long stretches of losing streaks and, and you know certain things happen in the locker rooms with play, when, when players get to that point of you know no longer wanting to play for a guy but I mean that was just a clear signal to me that things were not good um I mean for everybody it's obvious you look at Bobby's team Bobby had the Ducks middling the rest of the season they were 14th in uh, expected goals 14th in scoring chances for and they were 15th in high danger chances for so you this team was never going to be great but, I mean, that really does kind of, at least the data does, points to a system issue. And it was, you know, all, all fingers pointed at Randy Carlisle, for, you know, for me, obviously. Yeah, and I won't blame just necessarily all of Randy Carlisle because um, he's not in charge of that abysmal power play, uh, penalty killing, also not really. I mean, he gives uh, the his, final say on these things. It's, I mean, he has, he's the guy who tells the guys what's up. I mean, they could run the <laughs> show, but he also has a lot of say in how, where the systems are at for all, all parts of coaching. Yeah, I mean, you can say that. And even, I mean, this season, yeah, I didn't expect the Ducks, you know, they're they're not winning division titles anymore. That's that's They're in this kind of funky transition where you're, you know, Getzloff's going to be 34 here pretty soon. You've got uh, Kessler, who's a mainstay, is possibly being bought out or retiring. And then you, you've still got uh, Perry, who's, uh, you know, missed the beginning part of the season. And so it's weird where they kind of weren't quite ready to jump some of those players into those roles. And you could see that kind of early on. And, you know, so it was never a team that was really going to dominate, but then add in the old school thought and um, style of Randy Carlisle. And it just wasn't going to work, you know. And so, you know, even even though when Bob Murray took over and it was maybe meddling, that was such a vast improvement just in gameplay 
and being yeah. able to watch it that you're you just have more hope at least i do for next season if, if we start off on the right page there's no you know this that the other uh, as far as the the coaching it's the, the next coach in my opinion is going to be the the deciding factor of how well the ducks do next season bobby had them playing i guess exactly where you thought they were going to be pat middle of the pack right you know just pushing for a playoff spot if they hadn't played that way over the entire season and then you know if they get lucky here and there then they'd be right where me and jason thought they'd be in and sitting in a division spot in, in either two or three so you know over a full season if you didn't have randy carlisle and the system he had in place things looked promising or at least you know they were going to be a, a decent team and a team that could get into the playoffs maybe not make noise in the playoffs but at least get there and be a team similar to what we've seen with maybe columbus or with carolina that are pushing some of the top teams in the league because they do have talent and they do have a great goaltender in John Gibson, but they, they just couldn't figure it out. So yeah, I, I agree. I mean, with a new coach next year, uh, things could be promising. It all depends on what that coach comes in. I mean, obviously anything's going to be better than Randy Carlisle. We saw Bob Murray come in and essentially he didn't really implement anything new. He just let the, the assistant coaches go and, and go a different direction. And they were able to just pull a, a mediocre team out of what the Ducks had, and that was without Montour for most of that time because he wasn't there. Uh, and then they had to throw Brandon Gooley, plus some more injuries to some of their big players as well. And like you said, Andre Kasha was out, so you had all these guys and another full season from the rookies and a new coach. If, if he can implement a, a good system that will work, then you know, there's definitely there's promises for next year. There's, there, there's some promising signs, but still all ifs, right? I mean, you know, next year I think is going to be really exciting, but we could be in the same spot because I, you know the Ducks could be okay. Uh, but they could very well have an, another season like this. It, it it all depends on how those things turn out. It's not going to yeah. be anywhere near a twenty-one, twenty-six, and nine record, though. I mean, that's Randy. That's no. Randy. Yeah. Randy dumped all over that. Bobby went fourteen, eleven, and one, and uh, he had a little mini losing streak in there too. I think the Ducks lost five straight after winning the first couple under Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, I mean, that just happens. But I mean, if you look over the course of the season, they're an above five hundred team if they play that style um, under Bob next year for a new coach and there's going to be a lot like you said a lot of questions but there's been a lot of promise in these guys that came in towards the end and stuck around and totally hampered the goals playoff chances by the way who barely <laughs> snuck in um uh-huh. they ended up getting in because uh, i think the colorado team in the hl lost which let them get into the playoffs so um but yeah i i just feel like next season and like you said it's it could be i don't think it'll be this bad but it, it, we could have a middling year next year for sure yeah, um, it's you're gonna see probably a lot of uh, of turnover. I mean, uh, at this point, I think Getzloff also down the stretch he started having you know back spasms. He, he ended up having an MRI towards the end of the the year, which didn't really reveal anything. So, I mean, like I said, he's going to be at 34. Perry's going to have to have a reduced role, and that's going to be kind of odd because you reduce his time on the ice, he becomes way less effective, anyways. So, you know, you're going to start seeing Sam Steele take over a little bit more of that center line depth. Uh, and then you're going to have your Troy Terry once he gets back from, from injury and your Max Jones. So it's going to be a different look, but uh, I think a good one because this is what uh, we talked about at the end of last season or what Bob Murray said is we're going to get younger and faster. And that's that's been the transition this year. Now we just need coaching that's uh, a little bit uh, more hip to that, and we'll actually uh, implement a style that'll work for this team because Carlisle cannot play a speed game. 
Yeah, that's the whole thing. It is about implementing a style that works with the players that you have on this team because what it seemed like is Randy Carlisle had tried to go back to the style a little bit that he had when he previously coached the Ducks and then tried to change it up this year and and make it more of a modern style and that combination just didn't just didn't work it clearly didn't work you can see the numbers you can see the record you can see the way the, the players were playing everybody was pretty much having a down year playing in that system so things just weren't working out so if you do bring in a coach who can play a little bit more modern system but maybe not just that but a system that fits the players that they have in place and i'm sure that some of the discussions they're having with potential coaching candidates and i know we all assume dallas akins is going to be the guy who gets it but a lot of the discussions are going to be how how are you going to coach this team? What style are you going to use? You know, what, how are you going to utilize the players we have currently? Because the Ducks haven't done that for a while under Randy Carlo. They've just relied on going back to the system that worked in the past, and they don't have those players anymore. And that uh, that style doesn't really work nowadays either. So you need a style that fits the players you have, not necessarily playing fast and skating fast. But if you have the players who can do that, which I think the Ducks do with the young players coming up then you need to have something that fits uh, the, the, the core group that they have in place. How amazing when Randy gets fired that the coaching staff thinks it's a good idea to put Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm back together. <laughs> Immediately. We screaming the for hell? that. The like, whole season we were screaming for that. <laughs> just unreal. And then I don't, I didn't really get a chance to look at the power play differences between, between Randy and Bobby's teams this year, but I know that – the Ducks just never had that trigger man off the circle. Every once in a while, you would see it. You'd see Raquel is able to shoot the puck from there. Um, and we always had talked about Brandon Montour being the guy for that. And then, you know, he gets traded off to Buffalo. That poor bastard. Went to a team that everyone thought was going to be some sort of <laughs> wagon heading into the playoffs. And then they, they just bottomed out in one of the worst ways yeah. possible. Maybe that's that other team Did- that I would have thought of that uh, had higher expectations, loftier ones this season, and then it didn't didn't really quite work out. For didn't them, they but. not win a game in the month of March or something? Yep, it was so stupid. Won. Oh, it was so <laughs> bad. Man. March is so, one of those so 31 bad. day months. Yeah. <laughs> not a fan day. of that. Let's, let's talk yeah, about... I, Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, it's obvious what the Ducks have to do. They have to bring the walrus back. Uh, to help him uh, get that power play working. He was number one when he was there, and then uh, they kind of kicked him out. Where uh, is he I now? want the ball respect. He's nowhere right now. He's, he's way under the radar. I haven't seen him pop up anywhere, which means he's available. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Paul McLean? Right. What, do we got? what do we got first here? Yeah. Wait, we're talking about Paul McLean right now? Yeah. I'm looking it up because now I'm very curious as to what he's doing right now these days. I don't think he's days. anywhere. I don't, uh, I don't think he's well, – he's definitely not coaching anywhere in the NHL. And no. I, I'm, I'm sure, like, at this point, because he's had a long career, he's probably just – I think he's done, honestly. I don't think he's publicly retired, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's done. Next type, uh, Daryl Sutter type thing. It says either June, June 1st, 2017. Um, yeah, it was his contract expired. It didn't show him going anywhere else. That's all I see here. Yeah, I think he was. He thought he was being groomed for the uh, position that Carlisle ended up taking, um, and then they didn't offer him that. They probably wanted to keep him around as assistant, but he chose to not go that route. And I don't think he really wants to come back unless he's head coach. And I don't think he wants to do assistant stuff. So, but the last nice. thing he did was write an article for NHL.com on March twentieth of this year. He's it was a, a special now. to NHL.com. Coaches <laughs> and players must work out kinks with Stanley Cup playoffs looming. Uh, but yeah, anyway. So the injuries were a big part of this year. And as Ducks fans, we know all about that. And we know how much 
we hate it because it seems like every year we lose guys for significant amounts of time. Um, and there is like a man games loss number out there, but I don't pay to go behind the paywall to figure out what the exact numbers were. But they were pretty devastating, Fran. I, mean, I think they led the league in, I think they were in that stat. Arizona, I think, was first. Yeah, but Arizona was using retired players. That, that are on that roster yeah. that are not playing, which is a yeah. Yeah. Wait, pretty bad this year. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, like, come on. The Ducks were like, I think it was over 300 man games lost this year. It was something stupid. It was ridiculous. I mean, we saw Ryan Miller leave for a long period of time, too. As we, I don't know if you guys remember, we had Chad Johnson as a goalie this year, too. Um, yeah, he finished the season injured. <laughs> yeah, not, not a good year for Anaheim. I mean, all around. But, uh, so... Let's talk about the guys that are the obvious ones. Ryan Kessler played 60 games, hit his 1,000th game, and then played one game after that. Largely ineffective, which is hard to say because it's not that I don't like the guy. I have to defend my stance on that because I do like Ryan Kessler. But uh, his damage tip now might require career-ending surgery. And he was talking about his livelihood being affected at this point. You know, having trouble putting on socks is a problem. Maybe, you know, it's time to hang him up. I mean, that's up to him. He's an absolute warrior. But, um... Perry also played 31 games with 10 points. Ouch. Uh, Came back from reconstructive knee surgery. At times, unlucky, I guess. Like, he would generate chances. He did look horrible. I mean, but 10 points in 31 games, uh, that's a a tough one. And then uh, Eves, just, my God, he didn't play a single game for the Ducks. Uh, I thought he played a couple. I don't think he did. Wait, 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 wait. I got a quick question about Perry before oh, we completely move on for I, We're not moving no, on. No, no, I was no, just no, naming no. him. We can go I back. know, I know, but we, we're, we're, we're referring to points, like 10 points in 31 games, but when we talk about Max Jones, you know, the points was 5 and 20 or some games, but that's okay because the way he was playing. I, I'd argue Perry wasn't playing bad. He was, he, like, you, you look at the his PDO, he was really unlucky. And he was getting a lot of chances. He was generating, um, I think, near the top in chances for the Ducks in, the, in that latter half of the season when he came back. He was getting chances, and he was shooting the puck well. Just what they just weren't going in for him. And uh, I would argue he was unlucky, and I think he should be in that same discussion. When you know We don't really look at points too much when we're talking about Max Jones. I think Perry should be in that same discussion because he was playing better than he was before, where you could see he clearly was a step behind. I thought he, he was much better after coming back from that surgery. I'll just that just one sec. Eve's played seven games. You're right. Told you. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, as Perry, I'm the same way. I mean, you know, you can look at the analytics and, you know, and say he's unlucky, but you could also see that. You could see that he was better. It took him a few games to kind of, you know, get his legs back, uh, you know, missing most of the season, trying to jump in, especially on the disaster, because he did jump in when Carlisle was still around. And he was trying to write his own thing and trying to figure out, uh, you know, what the hell was going on with the Ducks. So at no point did I look at him and go, wow, he's really just hurting our chances. He's taking up a huge spot and uh, it could easily be filled by somebody else. I feel like he got as many looks, they just weren't quite going in. So for me, he passed the eye test. It didn't blow me out of the water, 10 points, you know, nothing great. But at the same time, trying to jump in in the middle of that season and what we're used to seeing from him, I thought it was a, a nice little surprise at how he played. He, he did play, in my opinion, uh, better than I expected. Yeah. Wasn't awful, but he, he wasn't great. <laughs> he wasn't like awful. It. <laughs> he was in, he was in the middle. He was average, mm. and he was a little bit unlucky. Mm. I, like I'm not I'm not going out here saying he was the best. Trying player to compare they had. this, trying to compare a 33 year old or 31, however old he is, to Max Jones is pretty tough. <laughs> that's pretty tough. Uh, that's a not if you compare points. 
I you're comparing yeah, the, you're, but guess. we're talking about points he put up as the main talking point of why he didn't have a productive season. Well, then we would have to, you know, have that same argument about Max Jones, but we can't because we all saw the way he played. And, you know, I agree, Jones, we got people in the chat. Yeah, Jones was better than Perry by far, 100%. Oh, yeah. He was unlucky too. I, like Max Jones was probably the unluckiest player we had. <laughs> but if we're going out here and saying that Max Jones was unlucky because he only put up, what, like five or six points in, in the 20 or so games that he played, then we also have to kind of talk about that the same way with Corey Perry because he did still put up 10 and 31, and he was unlucky statistically. And just looking at him, the way he was playing, he played better than when we all had these concerns before he went and, and went down with the injury. So, so you I think just, he's I a 30, 40-point guy now? I th- I think he was always a 30 40 point guy. Even think- when he when he had the problems he was still he had the one the one down year where he was below that but he was still putting up 40 points no, not 20 goals anymore but he was putting up the assists he was still contributing and now I think he could do that next year. I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity in the top 6 but I could still see him being a 30 40 point guy cuz they're still going to use him on the power play at times whether it's the first or second unit. He's going to get chances and, and I don't think he's going to continually be that unlucky. Yeah, I, I think he could potentially get there, but he's going to need a lot of power play time to do that because I, I don't see him cracking that top six. And for a goal scorer like him, he's got to play those minutes to really kind of be useful or play his style. So his style is going to, you know, or his point total will probably be dictated on how well the power play does and how much of uh, that time he ends up getting. Because I just don't think five on five, it's going to work out too great for him. Is he going to yeah. be a 50-point guy like he was the year prior? He was 49 points no. the year before injury. Is he going back there's to that? A, no, there's other guys that are that are taking that spot now. On, not only on special teams, but at five on five. Like, you've got... Terry coming up, we've got Jones coming up, we've got Sam Steele, I know it's the center of the ice, but he's still taking up a top spot. You've got, you know, maybe you could argue Andre Kasher should probably have a top six spot. Uh, Jakob Silverberg, who's now re-signed, should have a top six spot. Ricard Raquel, like there's there's three or four wingers right there, and Raquel, Silverberg, and Kasher. And then the other spot is the left wing, unless you move Silverberg over to the left, and uh, you could say maybe Max Jones or Comitoire or Troy Terry or, who, or whoever should get that spot over Corey Perry. So I think he becomes a third liner next year. I don't think he's going to be down with Carter Rowney and whoever's on the fourth line. But even then, he's still only playing about 13, 14 minutes a night, which is going to be less than he's playing right now. So 50 points feels a little bit unreachable unless he gets <laughs> hot. But I think it all depends on what kind of power play time he gets and, and how he's utilized on that power play and how good the Ducks power play is because he could still put up you know, 15, 20 power play points in a season and boost his numbers. It all depends on how much time he's getting on special teams. I would just like one 50-point getter on our team because we didn't even have that yeah. last season. <laughs> yeah, one fun would be nice. Yeah, yeah Getz finished with 48. Um, yep. So we talked about Perry. We hit a little bit on Kessler. Uh, we've talked about him at nauseum at times about what we think is going to happen. Just real quick, is he coming back next year or no? No. Kessler? No, uh, I, don't, I think yeah. he's done. I think yeah. he's done. What about Eves? I think you guys think he's done too. They, they, that they, they one's still that kept, weird. Yeah, that one's odd. They can't figure out what's wrong with the dude. Um, I think you'd first have to try and figure that out and then uh, see if that's even something you can you can work with. I mean, he's still got, I think, two years left on his contract, but um, they can kind of – is there one left? Yeah. Okay, then, they, uh, you know – they could probably bury that in the minors and you know as far as from a a cap standpoint uh it's not much of a hit so i feel like you know he wants to play 
Um, but he's obviously going through some things. He didn't play a whole lot when he was down in San Diego and had to stop, saw a specialist in Minnesota, and I still don't know what's going on. So that that one's just odd all over the place. So he, he could be long-term IR as well. So That one's harder to judge because we, we have no idea if the weakness he has is due to the fact that he didn't get to play and didn't get to practice too much and work out too much during the, the first part of the season, and maybe like he just wasn't physically ready to play that many games, or if maybe the uh, the illness is back, and that's a reason why you know he was weak at the end of the year and he was getting injuries. So we'll have to see. Like For him, you just can't predict it. Like if, Of course, if he's still weak and can't play by, by the beginning of the next season, he's not going to be there. Uh, but I, I think he, he might get in a couple games, but you, you really can't predict it. I'm thinking his beard is just pulling on uh, Eves' life force. Like, it needs to grow and thrive, and so it pulls from him, and that's why he's weaker all the time. Oh, he's got to shave. Oh, boy. Please don't <laughs> shave. Figured it up. Yeah, he's uh, he, that muscle weakness return, and so that, that retirement question is still looming for him. Uh, I want to hop over to the defensive side of the game. I'll start. You know, it's my favorite player on the Ducks <laughs> is uh, Hampus Lindholm, as everybody knows. Oh. He was still the best Ducks offensive uh, generating defenseman this year, even though he was bad. Uh, defense was largely bad um, across the board, I think pretty much the whole season. It just never really clicked. The pairs kept getting mixed up. Um, I wanted to get your guys' op- opinion. Is this a defense you guys are comfortable with going into next season? Or do you expect to see changes? Or do you want to see changes on the back end? Because the much you know heralded uh, top four for Anaheim and all this depth and all this you know this youth, I mean I know it's a weird season, but is that something you're caref- you're comfortable with going forward with? It's not as dominant as you know it was projected to be, and the depth that we had you know in the minors, we ended up you know, starting trading some of those players away or letting them go through the the expansion draft. Um, I'm fine with uh, what Manson and Lindholm can do. Uh, um, happy with cam fowler's game uh now that it changed up and i'm fine with him being on his off uh side for a defense because that seemed to really make him a you know uh i don't want to say take chances but he he was jumping in the play a lot more he looked way more comfortable in that spot than he did uh on the other side and we just got to find that one other person uh you know i'm hoping Gooley can be that guy uh who can kind of jump in there that would be really really nice montour didn't really seem to, to work out and then your bottom six, you know, your five and six, they're, they're going to kind of be interchangeable. So it's not a horrible defense. It's it's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot worse defenses out there. I mean, to have three or possibly four guys that you can rely on and then let your five and six, you know, eat up the other minutes. Um, so I'm comfortable with it. I don't think there needs to be a huge changeover on it. Uh, it'd be nice. Like Bob Murray wants is a guy who's who's got more of a, a power shot from the point that can kind of quarterback the power play. So that would be nice, ideal, but uh, I'm I'm happy with the the lineup that we have as far as defense goes. I, I'm okay with it. Um, I mean, obviously Lindholm and Manson, we know historically is a great pairing, and it's been one of the best in the league for the last few seasons. And um, you know, Cam Fowler and Brendan Gooley look good. Uh, it's small sample size, so I can't you can't really say it's going to continue into next season. You <clears> hope <throat> it is. I, I'm excited to see what Brendan Gooley can do. So, you know, in that sense, I'm okay with it. If he plays left, Fowler plays on the right. Like, you know, just to test it out and see how things go. You don't have to panic and try and, and switch things up. You can test it out, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, the Ducks aren't really trying to, I think, win a Stanley Cup next year. I don't think any of us can predict that they're going to be a contender next year. So you can test it out and see how it works. 
and on the bottom pairing, you've got Larson. You can test out down there still. You've got Josh Mahura, who might get some time with the Ducks next year. I still think he starts in San Diego, but I'm sure he'll get a little bit of, of more looks if things don't work out for Larson or some of the other guys. Uh, but the one thing I, I wouldn't mind is if he goes out and gets that uh, puck-moving power play quarterback defenseman and preferably a guy who's right-handed because they're a little bit bogged down on, on the left. So if, if they go out and get uh, maybe a guy from Europe or a guy from college like he was talking about and, and give him a test, a guy that could still be eligible to send down to San Diego in case things don't work out. Uh, I, I've looked at the free agents this year. We'll get into that later. There aren't really many good right shot defensemen you can go out and get in a free agency. So I think you're going to have to look elsewhere, whether it's a trade or, for, or, for, or Europe or college. So if you can at least get one of those guys that we can test out because I'm not too comfortable with Magna and with Walensky and with Holzer if he comes back. So I would like at least another option for the sixth spot down there. Clayton Stoner. Ugh. No more of these guys. No more of the, the Randy Carlisle specials. I don't know. I'm tired yeah. of those players. Yeah, Brendan Gooley only played six games. Um, he was very, very good in those six games. Extremely good. There was not a lot of chances against. There was plenty of chances for when he was on the ice, uh, whether you want to say that's Cam Fowler carrying the load there or not, we'll be we'll you know we'll have to wait and see for next season. Um, but I think what we kind of found out though about Brandon Montour is that he's a great skater, uh, but he's not the puck facilitating defenseman you know for offense that we thought he was going to be here in Anaheim. He had plenty of time, plenty of plenty plenty of time to make himself that guy, and that's why he got moved. Uh, he just wasn't the expectation for him was to be a 1-2. He is easily a 3-4 in this league. And I wasn't disappointed to see him go, honestly. It wasn't a big deal. And I think we just kind of covered him up right away. I didn't feel like we missed him down the stretch. No, no. he, he Gooley can bring close to the offensive upside that um, uh, Montour had. But he doesn't make stupid decisions like Montour did. Uh, Montour took, you know, he just chose odd times to do things, especially like pinching in, rushing up. Um, and, you know, that just ended up starting to eat away, uh, you know, at the confidence that he can actually be the higher up in that. I mean, you've got to be able to to be able to be offensive, uh, like you said, a puck facilitator too, but also be responsible defensively. And, and that's where his game really kind of lacked and uh, just, you know, if he wasn't going to play with Fowler, uh, he still had enough value to to move for first round and, you know, a guy who can easily replace him, you know, from uh, and a little bit more defensively reliable, at least smarter, I should say. And Brendan Gooley is a fast guy, right, Eddie? I think they yeah. said he was one of the fastest yeah. in the NHL. Yeah, he was one of the, the fa- clocked one of the fastest times, I think, ever in the AHL All-Star game. Uh, this year so he he's quick and and that's what you're going to need and it's not like you know Lindholm is is quick in his own right as well and he makes smart decisions Fowler we've always talked about his speed Uh, same goes with Josh Mahura he's fast so you've got some quick players coming up I think the one thing the Ducks are missing and and obviously you know Bob Bob Murray's already mentioned it and what they need is a puck moving defenseman a guy who can put up points they they don't have that Montour is supposed to be that guy another reason I wasn't too upset when he left is because he didn't turn out to be that guy you know, he turned out to be another two-way guy who can put up maybe 30 points in a season. But the Ducks had plenty of those guys. You know, Fowler was that guy. Uh, Lindholm was that guy. Manson was somehow turning out to be that guy with, with the, the points he put up last year. And you have a guy like Mahura who's also going to be that type of guy. And, and Jakob Larson was in a similar aspect, a little more defensive-minded. But you had a lot of two-way guys. You didn't have that offensive guy. Montour wasn't really turning out to be that guy. That's what they need to go out and find. I mean, you look at some of the top teams in this league, you know, 
they're obviously elite defensemen, but Tampa, Tampa Bay has Victor Hedman, who puts up a ton of points. So San Jose has now Carlson and Brent Burns. Ugh. You've got Pitts, Pittsburgh has Latang. Calgary has Giordano. Washington has uh, John Carlson. Like, the list goes on. You need a defenseman who can put up around 50 points or 50 or 60 points, which is a lot to ask, and there's not many of those guys, but even 40 or 50 is a pretty good season for a defenseman offensively, a guy who can quarterback your power play, which would extremely help this power play to have a guy like that on the, on the back end who can move the puck well. Uh, you know, the Ducks need that type of guy, and, and you know, you're either you're going to get that guy likely from the draft. You're not going to really find him elsewhere unless you're like the San Jose Sharks and you make a trade for Carlson and bring him in, and now they have two of those guys. But the, the, the Ducks are going to need to find that guy, and they've got another first-round pick from the Montour trade this year that hopefully they can go out and grab a defenseman that could maybe turn into that guy because that, that's what they really need. And whether it's a left-handed or a right-handed guy right now, I don't think that really matters long-term because no matter what, they need that guy. And if they can find him, if he's a lefty, whatever, then you maybe make a trade later on down the road and you trade one of your other lefties like Cam Fowler. And well, bring the argument could like, be made that they could do it by committee. I mean, that's what Vegas has done. Right? Vegas could. doesn't have a 50-60 point guy on defense. Everyone's going to have to up their game a little bit, um, at least from this last season, you know, which shouldn't be too difficult because this last season was horrible for everyone, uh, at least the first two thirds of it. So, you know, but if you think about it, you're like, okay, do we have enough here to punch up that offense like we need it, even by committee? I don't, I, you know, unless Cam Fowler has a really great offensive yeah. season, it's it's tough. I kind of agree with that. You're going to have to have somebody, if you want to do it by committee, then he doesn't necessarily have to be that top. 50 point getter but you're going to need something in my opinion it's going to be a little bit better than Gooley um that and that core is going to have to play a little bit better offensively than they did this past season Vegas is a bit of an anomaly with that too though like I mean they're probably one of the only teams that are in the playoffs that don't have a guy on defense who can put up those numbers right like you, you we're looking at some of the top teams so again like i said tampa has had been washington has carlson you know maybe the islanders are another team like that who, who do it by committee this year God, but i think I we're that. all surprised oh. we're all surprised they made it but you know <laughs> toronto toronto has morgan riley boston has toy krug uh, columbus has Wierenski and jones who put up big numbers like you know the, all teams uh, wa- wa- uh winnipeg has bufflin uh, Nashville has Josie. Like they, everybody really has a guy. Dallas has Klingberg. Like the, the list goes on for all these playoff teams. They all have that at least one of those guys who can put up numbers from the blue line and quarterback their power play. There's a few teams, like you said, Vegas and, and maybe the Islanders, who I don't have it. those. But are they considered some of the better teams? I know yes, the Islanders are up two nothing, could go up three nothing in, in their series today. But again, we didn't think they were going to be a playoff team, and they made it here as a team, just like Vegas did last year. There, there's always a couple of those teams who don't have they, they don't have the wow factor but they make it because everybody is chipping in or everybody's having a good season and that's what both vegas and the islanders have done this year but i i think the ducks need that guy and i'm not talking about an eric carlson guy it's hard to find those guys and then you also have to pay those guys eight or nine million dollars but you can find a guy like a roman yossi or morgan riley in the draft that can put up 40 or 50 points and and be a big part of this blue line and really help out the other guys that then they don't have to really you know, go up and put up the numbers. You have that guy who's set to do that, and you have a guy who can quarterback your power play. I think that's really what the Ducks need when you're looking at the blue line. Other than that, they're they're pretty much set. They, you know, having that many two way guys and that many reliable guys is great. Well, who would you guys say is your most, I guess, most dis- disappointing player on the defensive core this year? That would Cam Fowler. Um, I I would probably say Josh Manson. He he uh, he surprised me with how 
bad he played early on I mean, through most of the season. Got a little bit better with Lindholm. Um, and once they changed the style, it got a little bit better, but everyone got a little bit better. Um, but something was kind of missing from his game a little bit. Um, and it wasn't until the last portion of the season when he started playing with Lindholm again, that's where he kind of got better. But I was kind of impressed with the way Cam Fowler played um, once things kind of opened up as well. So everyone was kind of crappy early on. But, you know, I, I, I didn't expect Manson to be as bad as he was you know, not playing with Lindholm. That was a little surprising for me. I mean, I kind of expected it a bit because we always knew Hampus Lindholm was, was propping up Josh Manson. No offense to Josh Manson. He's a great player, but he wasn't, you know, when you look at them being one of the elite pairings in this league, the numbers they're putting up, we kind of all assumed it was Hampus Lindholm who was the guy that was propping that up. And Josh Manson was a very good defenseman. Likely if on any team, he's maybe a four, right? But on the Ducks, he was—you could argue—he was a two or a three because he was playing with Hampus Lindholm, and he—that's he, why you know he was doing a lot better. So, the moment they took him away from him, I kind of expected Josh Manson to to dip a little bit. I, I thought him and Fowler would honestly work together. They seemed like they'd complement each other very well, and, and that went really, really far south. But when you looked at the numbers, it was Cam Fowler who was dragging that down. Now, Josh Manson wasn't playing great, but it was Cam Fowler who, who was really struggling a lot throughout the entire season. And then obviously he had that turnaround when he went to the right side and played with the goalie, which was nice to see. But to, to me, he was the most disappointing guy in the blue line. Just, you know, Despite all that, it took him literally shifting to the right side of the fence from his, his left side where he's played his entire career to turn around his season and play better. Uh, that shouldn't have to happen. He's a guy that we're supposed to be relying on, a guy that sometimes when you bring up who's going to be the next captain of the Ducks, his name comes into the discussion. He can't have these types of seasons if you know the Ducks are going to be a competitive team in the future. I was cut down the middle between the two of those guys, and I would take Cam, and it's probably bias on me because it's, the memory is stuck in my head of him skating by the puck in <laughs> overtime versus Winnipeg. Yeah. Just yeah. the puck awareness in that play, I was just like, he just did a flyby. <laughs> just skate right by everybody, pucks in my crease. Let's just do a flyby right there. Um, yeah. And the puck watching this year too. Like, yeah, yeah where he, uh, he does a little pirouette around. That's that's the other memory I kind of have as defensive game. It's like, oh, the puck's there. Oh, there's my guy. I'll go back. The, wait, the puck's not there. Oh, my guy had. Oh, he scored. It's in the net. <laughs> it's just a uh, looking just back and forth and what the hell's going on. <laughs> brutal year. Um, yeah. And of course, I would always say that Lindholm has always been my impressive guy on D. But since that's the obvious answer, I was pleasantly surprised with the stability of Jacob Larson, considering what he had to play with under the system he was playing in. Um, he played 49 games this year. I didn't think he looked bad. I think that's a that's a promising look for a guy who's probably going to be a three four or maybe a right. I mean, that's where his I guess peak would be three. A three, three on, would be on a really that'd be really high. Right? That'd be a peak. Right now he's, he's a, a four, four five. five. Yeah. yeah but I was still impressed with with him able being able to come in and play a quiet game, and that, that's what he's always been touted as. Is he's a not a flashy guy. Uh, let's get over to uh, the Fords. Eddie, you want to talk about our uh, our forward depth? How we look yeah, this year. Uh, <laughs> the amount of guys we had to use this year because uh, because the injury was a little bit ridiculous. Um, I mean, like we were all a little bit. <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, it was it was ridiculous. There was a ton of guys that that they ended up using, and pretty much I think everybody was hurt this year uh, at some point, other than Adam Henrique who played the entire yeah, season. Henrique, 
Um, so it, it was a, a kind of a done by committee at times this year where the Ducks had a lot of guys in and out of the lineup. But for, mo- for the most part, uh, the best player they had this year was Andre Kasha, and he only played 30 games. And, uh, he, you know, anytime he was on the ice, which we've come to expect from him, he was generating offense on his own and making his line better. So it was a real bummer to see him go down with injury because I think he's going to be a big part of this team next year. And, and, you know, the fact that he missed that whole end of the season, you know, we kind of forgot about him a little bit. You know, you, you kind of forget when you're looking at your projections for next season. And I've seen people put lines together. Sometimes you just forget to include him because you, you forgot that he was here because of all the struggles you went through, it felt like he didn't miss, you know, only the, the last few games of the season, the last 30 games of the season. It felt like he was gone forever because nobody else was doing anything. He was the only bright spot they had. So he's going to be a huge part uh, of the Ducks next year. Uh, I, you know, I, I think he'll likely get a shot on the on the top line. I mean, he should, the way he was playing, and he was putting together a, a ridiculous season. So, I mean, Andre Kasha is, is extremely invaluable to this team going forward. Yeah, you, you talk about uh, a dynamic player or a game changer. Uh, he's one of those players that creates chances almost out of nothing, just either out of uh, you know his own skill set or his, his hustle, his desire to want to produce something out of nothing. Uh, Max Jones has that. We've talked about that before, where they're both kind of those players that can create not, you know, something out of nothing. Uh, you know, to almost kind of like we don't have that on defense. That's why it's really hard for us to kind of look at our defense and go, wow, we don't really have anybody who can do what Kasha does or what Max Jones does. And the fact that they were able to still look good under that old style where everyone else was still really struggling just to figure out where they're supposed to be and what they need to do. Uh, you know, Kasha is one of those guys that just, yeah, didn't care. It didn't matter what style he was going to just out hustle and uh, out chance everybody. And so I love having those players, even if, you know, they're not well-known names. Uh, those are the types of players that really kind of propel a team and, and kind of make it like Vegas was last year, where it's just everyone just was game breakers. It didn't matter, you know, what line they were on. They were they were contributing and Kasha's up and down all over. Um, it'll be interesting to see what goes on with Getzloff because our one strong center depth is now, who knows, uh, you know, with uh, Getzloff having, uh, you know, the back spasms, uh, an MRI done on it, and the emergence of Sam Steele, the way he kind of showed up at the end, you might see Sam Steele more in that um, that top line uh, minutes than you do with Getzloff. So it's, it's going to be interesting. They probably, in my opinion, keep uh, Henrique, just because if you get rid of him, then you have Getzloff and Sam Steele as your one-two, and that's about it afterwards. So... Um, it'll be interesting to kind of see next season what happens with that. But the fact that we're, we're getting younger, quicker, and more dynamic, uh, I think is a good sign moving forward this last season. It's tough. I want to tell every, you know, I almost want to throw this one away just because of how bad it you was in the beginning. And I really, I really yeah. want to judge everyone in what, what I saw with uh, Bob Murray because I, I just feel that they were all set up to fail. You have to persevere through adversity here, and the Ducks failed to do that. They threw the season away under Randy Carlisle, decided to play a little bit better under Bob. Um, but these, but it's these only a little bit better. Yeah. It wasn't great. It was, yeah, it wasn't amazing. It, it, but, I mean, this team does have some restructuring they need to do. <laughs> Ryan Getzloff with 48 points in 67 games, had plenty of injuries just like the rest of the team. Uh, Ricard Raquel didn't decide to turn it on until later on in the season. He finished with 43 points, 18 goals, almost at the 20-goal mark. Uh, Jacob Silverberg, 24 goals and 43 points in 73 games, also had injuries. But uh, between those two guys, those are the guys that uh, 
we would we would expect to be around the twenty goal mark, but um, I don't know. Ricard Raquel, for whatever reason, didn't click right away. He didn't he didn't come out the gate when he was healthy, and even at the beginning of the year, it didn't look good. What what did we expect from these two wingers? I mean, Jacob Silverberg has largely been the shutdown guy, paired with uh, with with Andrew Cogliano, who is now a Dallas Star. Um, we haven't even got to that. You have the trade that happened yeah. with him. But uh, what can we come from to expect from Jacob Silverberg and Ricard Raquel next year? Because this is going to be a whole new look. I think it's going to be a lot like it was once they kind of got paired together. I mean, once, you know, Silverberg was released from the shackles of having to be the shutdown guy and gets to play with somebody, a fellow countryman, Ricard Raquel, um, those guys clicked. And, you know, you saw down the stretch, Silverberg was just goal on goal on goal. He was our best goal scorer, you know, at the end of the season uh, and uh, particularly down the stretch as well. Yeah, Rack, Rack, same thing. Had plenty of tucks towards the end of the year. Exactly. So I feel like they 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 meshed really well. It'll be interesting to see who they put as a center because I don't think Getzloff had particularly uh, great numbers with those guys, but Sam Steele did. That's why I think uh, arguably if you're going to have Raquel on one wing, you're going to have Silverberg. Whoever that center is is pretty much your number one center, and I think Sam Steele kind of maybe squeaked his way into that spot come next season. So. I expect more of the same. I actually expect them to go past that. I think this one's a little blip on Raquel's thing. He'll get better next year. He'll he'll get past 20 for sure. I'm hoping he gets close to 30. Uh, in my opinion, next year, depending on the coach, Silverberg is over 30, in my opinion. I mean, he was six away from this, and he had two-thirds of his season still trying to play an old style and old responsibilities. I think he's freed up, and I'd be, I'd be surprised if he's under 30 next year as far as goals. If he plays with Raquel, um, maybe he can get over thirty. Maybe because the, the chemistry that they had. If you know, if Raquel becomes the facilitator on that line, and then Silverberg becomes the shooter, then I can see him getting over thirty. I think Raquel definitely gets back over twenty and gets close to thirty again. He was start to turn it on at the end of the season, get more comfortable, and if he can start off that way, then I I, I think he could easily get back to either twenty or thirty, just the way he he's playing and, and the opportunities he's going to get in this lineup, but. I really think you can split up this roster and, and you know analyze it the way uh, their seasons went based off you know three different categories and and Silverberg and Raquel split into or kind of go into the core category the core fours that we have and Getzlaff and Perry are under there as well same with Adam Henrique and Ryan Kessler you know what is considered I guess the core of this team and, and then you've got the middling guys so you you know you've got uh, Nick Ritchie you've got Daniel Sprong. You've got Derek Grant, who might not be back next year. Uh, Devin Shore is involved in that as well. Same with Carter Rowney. And then you've got the rookies. And, and the guys that we, some of the guys we didn't expect to see this year, uh, in Maxim Comtois and Isaac Lindstrom. And then obviously you've got the guys who stuck around for most of the season in Sam Steele, Kiefer Sherwood, Troy Terry, and Max Jones. I mean, that's the way I kind of split it up when analyzing it. And, and I think for, you know, the core group of Ricard, Raquel, and Jakob Silverberg, those are two of the, the main guys we're looking for next year to really have big years. They're two of the youngest guys in that group. Uh, and you would expect them to, to be real catalysts for offense next year because Corey Perry is likely not going to have a great year. Adam Henrique, you know, you could assume he's going to do what he normally does in a 40 to 50 point season. Ryan Getzlaff. No, we're all you know ex- expecting it to be close to a point per game, but he's still getting you know older. So, is he going to have a, a downturn like Corey Perry did? He's a sixty-point guy, not. probably a sixty-point guy. Yeah, probably point guy. not. 
because Ryan Getzlaff plays a different style of game, and he he is just a great passer. So no matter what, he'll probably still put up forty or fifty assists in a season. So he he's pretty much banked in for that. But you know, Silverberg and Raquel are going to be a huge part of this team next year, and and I think if they play on on, on the line together, and whether that's with Sam Steele or Adam Henrique or whoever down the middle, uh, I think they're going to be the two most dangerous players the Ducks have up front. Or Andre Kasha, I really feel like a full healthy season from him is going to be really good for Anaheim. I mean. He was probably on pace for sixty points this season, so pretty damn close. Key word, key, key word there is if he's healthy. Kasha, I don't think he's played an entire season, uh, and he's usually missing substantial time. And he's got a little bit of the concussion issues too. Oh yeah, McDermott so, took his head off earlier this year from the Kings, and yeah. then that torn labrum off a face off of all things. I don't know how the <laughs> hell that happened. It was a, one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen to cause a six month injury. Yeah, so I, I hope same thing with you. I mean, Kosh, I feel is, is pretty key, and he's a guy you can jump in any line, and he'll do really well. And um, so that versatility is good. He's just got to stay healthy, just not get hurt. <laughs> I mean, Devin yeah. Shore wasn't cool. a bad player for what he provided either, though, guys. He had a, he had a sneaky, uh, productive season for what he was used for. I felt like he wasn't a detriment to the team. Um, to me, he was actually better than Andrew Cogliano at this stage. And then a guy like Carter Rowney playing fourth line minutes. Uh, I think he produced more than what I expected. Daniel Sprong, another guy, I felt like he produced more than what I was expecting from him. So lots of questions going into next year. Hopefully we're not using the same amount of players, though. That's that's the scary thing. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think about those middle forwards that we have? And, and I mean, some guys likely won't be back. Uh, I would assume Derek Grant isn't back. Carter Rowney is, is going to be a good bottom six, fourth-line guy. But you got guys like Derek Grant, and you have Devin Shore, like you said, who I did like, and I think he is uh, he provides a little bit more than what Andrew Cogliano provided. Uh, and you've got you know, a, a couple of guys in there that we will likely see next year as well, you know, in, including some of the rookies. I mean, what, how do you feel about those, I guess you could call them role players, Nick Ritchie's in there as well, and, and what they can provide next year. Because I think, you know, some of them were surprising. Nick Ritchie took a step forward, but they're, they're still going to be key parts of this team. Ritchie's got to stop going into the damn penalty box. That's about it. He had, he had a better year yeah. statistically, but the, going into the box was brutal. <laughs> you just can't see yeah, it. Yeah, and it's usually at horrible times too, and that's, that's the other thing you kind of – irks a lot of Ducks fans, me included, is just uh, when he chooses to do this. And um, so, yeah, as far as a lot of those role players, I, I think you might see a lot of movement up and down. I don't know. It's it's tough because it depends, once again, on the coach. There's a lot of what-if factors and, and who makes it you know on the team out of training camp and then injuries on top of that. Uh, but the role players are going to – have to be uh you know have to have a good season if this team's going to do anything because uh they're going to rely on depth and probably rolling four lines a lot more than they have in the past so um the jury's out for me i can't really tell one way or the other how this thing's gonna to shake out but you know i i'm willing to have everyone just go that season sucked next one will be better well everyone can up their game a little bit and then we're talking about a much better ducks team if everyone just kind of increases their play a little bit yeah, I mean, you got to throw into the mix that we'll have a lot of these rookies in sophomore season, so you would hope they take a step forward, but there's always the infamous sophomore slump that, that sometimes happens. It doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. It used to be a big thing that it always seemed to happen for, for a lot of the younger rookies, but now it seems like most guys 
generally have a, a nice boon in performance in their second season, except for a couple few. So hopefully Max Jones, Troy Terry, Sam Steele, uh, come to Iowa coming in in his rookie year, hopefully Isaac Linderstrom possibly too, that they all take uh, steps forward and, and have good seasons because they're going to be big parts not only of the Ducks season next year, um, but the you know the going forward and, and into the future when we lose some of these other guys like Kessler and like Eves and, and possibly Getzlaff and Perry as well. And then whoever we get this year. I mean, there was a. I, I don't think I would have said at the, at the draft that Isaac Linderstrom would have made the team and played any games this year uh, for the Ducks, and he ends up making the team out of camp. So, that, you know, with a ninth overall pick, depending on who we pick, whether it's a forward or a defenseman, there's always a chance that that guy gets a look too, depending on how he, how he plays in rookie camp and if he gets a shot at preseason as well. Like you said, a lot of questions with all these young guys coming up. Um, but I feel like they're going to be. taking plenty of youth and talent off this goals team for next season i think there's it's just gonna gonna have to see what happens with uh whatever free agents they're gonna try to bring in or if they're gonna even go that route and try to or or try to keep the kids there was rumors about uh, ricard gromberg being the guy that's going to come to anaheim uh whether in an assistant uh, capacity or as a head coach uh dallas eakins is also in that running so if you're leaning towards guys that like the younger faster style which is what bobby says he wants to do then I think we're going to see a lot of youth coming to the lineup from the system. I don't think they're going to be going out and getting plenty of free agents. I know that Bob also mentioned um, collegiate guys were people he was looking at. So we have an interesting yeah. mix of youth that uh, are middle sixers that you just talked about there. But I think a lot of it, like you and Jay just said, though, is, is just going to see what happens um, with the coaching side of things. Let's get to the end of the players. we got to talk about goaltending. Jay, I, I know that's your least favorite thing to talk about. Uh, I know it's definitely, it's definitely my <laughs> least favorite thing to talk about is these yeah, guys who wear 60 hate, pounds of pads gold. and just stand around but uh, and take up plenty of contract space, mind you. But let's talk and about the guys a, in the a, crease. A, it's 80 pounds, and we don't stand. We fall occasionally. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yes. I mean, when you have a pad called the cheater, I mean, just go tell me how hard that position is. Uh, that was propaganda, and it was uh, put out there by a whole bunch of people like you who hate goalies for no good reason. Because <laughs> as much as you hate goalies, you need them. Well, let's talk about uh, John Gibson and his Vesna-worthy season until the Ducks fell on top of him. Yeah, uh, if there was any one goalie that masks a team or masked a team's horrible play this season, especially the first half, that was John Gibson. Uh, Gibson, not only just your your standard stats as far as goals against and save percentage are good. Wins weren't really there at the beginning of the season, but that's more of a team stat. Uh, but the underlying ones, the high danger shots against and the high danger save percentage. Um, and then, you know, when goalies are usually down and out and can't really uh, do a whole lot, they're kind of at the mercy of how uh, the penalty kill is doing or how well the other team's power play is doing. Shorthanded save percentage. John Gibson has consistently been one of the top goaltenders in save percentage. I mean, over a 92 save percentage on penalty kill, and that's just insane to do. Uh, any underlying stats he had were just amazing, but like you said, wiped out as the season went along. Um, unfortunately, when you're battling close to 50 shots a game and getting almost no relief on the other <laughs> offensive side of things, you're gonna you're gonna hit a wall at some point. Um, and he almost played another you know 50 or 60 games this season. Um, and you just, that style is just never going to work. I mean, you, we talked about it before where the Ducks defense just, you know, just to alleviate pressure, we just throw it up to the middle, let that team go get it and then come right back. I mean, for a goalie, there's no, there's no breathing. There's no relaxing. You're constantly doing those things. And so it's just, it's going to wear out 
a goalie, and that's what ended up happening. You saw it, uh, you know, when he went to the All Star game. Although the that was the turning game, point. That was the turning point. That's what everyone turned on him. So, social media <laughs> turned on him. Uh, did you see how poorly he played? He got lit uh, up. Uh, he's unreal. not an All Star. <laughs> it was so bad for him that Pacific Division that that Drew Doughty came out and defended John Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> when John D- when Drew Doughty is out there actually defending people instead of trying to bring them down or bitching about them, then you know <laughs> you've done a good job, and everyone's really just <laughs> looking for. A Although scapegoat. for Drew Doughty, he really made me happy with his comments on Brent Burns and Matt Kachuk. I mean, those are great. <laughs> I love that. The NHL needs more of it. Uh, put a mic in yeah. front of everyone's face when they're angry. It's great. But John Jeez. Gibson, he put up really good underlying numbers for a long time. He did it last year. He did it this year. Um, I guess you could just – let's just blame Randy Carlisle uh, for, for the collapse of John Gibson because, like you said, they were throwing the puck up the middle so often that uh, people tend to forget that it, playing defense means you don't turn the puck over like that. And just because you clear the zone, all you're really allowing that to ha- uh, really allowing the team to do at that point is to regroup and then come full force back against your team again. You know, it's the Ducks were doing that time and time again, and it just a lot of it had to do with the, the forwards not playing defense. There was a lot of missed coverage. A lot of times you would see guys like Campus Lindholm even they're standing around with a puck and the, and the defense. So who the hell am I going to pass to? Like no one's here, and it let, really led to turnovers and put John Gibson and Ryan Miller. Uh, just in really horrible positions for the majority of this this whole season, it was it was a bad look for Anaheim. Yeah, I mean, John, John Gibson put together that ridiculous stretch basically up until I guess the All Star game where he was just on fire and he was at the midseason awards was the Vesna favorite, uh, and then you know he was just fatigued. You could see it. We saw the article that came out recently that said how tired he was and how uh, he had lost so much weight because they had just been overworking him. And he still hadn't got back to that point. And then the the last, I think, eight games of the season, he was back to almost the same form he was at the beginning of the season. He was putting up ridiculous numbers. I think he had won seven of the the last eight games that he had started in. And uh, he was really getting back to that. So it's unfortunate because if he didn't have that stretch where he was just so tired, so fatigued, he couldn't play, and the Ducks just kept throwing him over the boards, he'd probably still be in the Vezin discussion. But now I, I would assume um, at the end of the season when they announced the awards, probably not going to get a nomination because of how things went which is unfortunate because he he probably still should i mean there were people saying he could win the heart the way he was playing yeah and, and the way he was propping up this ducks team <laughs> you know, there was a there was a chance that uh, he could have gotten that as well the way he was playing and you know maybe next year i think he, he definitely still has that potential it's not like this year was an anomaly he was playing out of his mind this year but he was also playing great last year as well and, he, and you know he's played great pretty much every year so I, I think John Gibson's only going to continue to get better. And once they have a, a better system in front of him, that kind of helps him out. And, and they got a better team on ice. I think, you know, he is going to be in the, in the discussion for a while. Yeah. Uh, the, the Ducks are solid presently and for quite a while into the future. He's only 25 and he's he's put up great seasons already. Um, you know, as far as the injury bug, which always is kind of, you know, a knack on him. Uh, this season, you know, besides that one, which you can almost chalk up to fatigue as well. You know, it's it just, well, no, not that one because he got, didn't he get run over by Megna? <laughs> yeah. 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 Megna's ass. I mean, if he can just get around those fluky injuries that he's been getting, I'm confident that he's healthy enough. His style has changed in a way that he's not going to be pulling groin muscles or hamstrings or things like that unnecessarily. So the Ducks, that's the one bright spot. That's something I don't think we ever have to really worry about for the next four or five years. Uh, you know, the in my opinion, Gibson's is solid. He's a rock in there. 
He might get, you know, a heart trophy. All he had to do was score maybe a couple more goals for the Ducks. So they really could have used that from him. But other than that, there's, you know, yeah, there's nothing to really worry about. Huh? So, yeah, they definitely could have used a couple more goals. They could have used those goals. <laughs> he would have helped himself out if he could have just scored a few more goals. At least one. Yeah. Like, at least give us something <laughs> yeah, like that. Like, you just get yeah. one. You know, get your shutout. But, hey, you know, put it top shelf. Just rip it 200 feet. I mean, <laughs> most goalies should be able to do that anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah piece of cake. So, just to wrap up the goal, the goaltending segment, I know we got a jet here in a few minutes. Jay's got some commitments to get to. So, to cover the end of this with, with the goaltending, do we see Ryan Miller next year? He wants to play. And there's not a whole lot of other teams that he might go to other than L.A. It depends what they want to do with Jonathan Quick. And, you know, it just depends if if Quick's willing there's to do a There's no way role. he goes to L.A. There's just no way he goes to L.A. He's going to stay in, in California. He just wants to be close. He wants to play, but he's, you know, he's an analytical guy, too. He's not one that's going to just go, you know, he's going to make sure it's the right fit. And if it works for his family, he wants to keep playing. That's kind of what he was proving this year, too, is, that, you know, he wants to show that he can still play. And, you know, he's a backup for sure, but he's embraced that role. And you can't really ask for too much better from a backup because, I mean, throw him in, in any situation, you know, his numbers were right there with Gibby uh, for pretty much all of it. And he was there through the bad times and good times, all that stuff. So, um, it would make sense because Chad Johnson, I don't think we're going to obviously resign. He's injured and he was nothing. Uh, and Boyle, I think, needs a little bit more time in the AHL. He's uh, 26. Take a little bit. He's 26. They take, a little, they take longer to do it. And, you know, Bennington was 25 in St. Louis and look at where he got. So, yeah, I mean, this guy's older Boyle, than John Gibson. Boyle's kind of good. But if you, can get, if you can get Miller for another year, I would think that's great. I think it's just kind of up to Miller. But, I mean, the door is wide open for him to come back. And I, I know Bob Murray would want him because that's he's a back. solid, reliable backup. He's back on a year-by-year basis, I feel like. What do you yeah, think? Yeah. He, he's either back or he retires. I don't think he's going anywhere else. I think he's he's either going to Anaheim or he's done. And, uh, I mean, from what he said, I don't think he's really decided yet or really thought about it. But I'm sure uh, if he's got one more year – then it's going to be with the Ducks. If he feels like he's done and wants to spend more time with the family, then I, I can see that happening too. I think right now it's 50-50, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to get back with the Ducks for one more next year. Yeah, I think it's got to be one more year. Well, guys, everyone who's tuned in live, we appreciate you guys coming on board for the season recap. we got plenty more content coming around. We have a draft analysis with Steve Cordianos that's going to be coming up here in the next coming weeks once we see how things kind of settle out in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which have been amazing, by the way. Speaking of goaltending, holy hell, Martin Jones reared his ugly ass head the other night, didn't he, guys? Bet you they oh, yeah. wish they would have traded for Ryan Miller. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that that's, that's the head scratcher where you're sitting there going like, man, a good backup probably would have solved this problem because you could, you could see that kind of happening with Jones. It's just, yeah. I, I, I envision him and Mike Smith is just, They'll flip flop. It just depends, you know, which goalie shows up that night. Ed, what's your favorite series so far? Uh, I haven't been able to watch too much of it, uh, but I've been watching the uh, Columbus Tampa Bay series Ooh, just because it's it, it's hilarious right now, and and uh, that that one's been good. I missed the game last night, which sucks. The uh, the San Jose Vegas game. I, I think that was last was, night. Or the uh, night Friday. before that. Yeah, they played. Yeah, night. which which. I saw that uh, Vegas went up 3 nothing. I was like, God, this is over. And then, obviously, San Jose comes back in that first <laughs> period and makes it the game. But, I mean, they've all apparently been good. And, and I've seen maybe a little bits here and there of each series pretty much. But uh, I think the only one I haven't seen is Dallas and, and, uh, and Nashville, which I've heard is, is still a pretty good series. and went to yeah, overtime in game two. So, so no, I, Boston, I, Toronto. 
<laughs> for me. <laughs> I mean, if you saw that last game, I did. Yeah, I saw it last night. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you guys think that the refing was was horrible? Awful. I thought it was just god it was awful. God awful. Yeah. God oh, yeah. awful. They let that game get way out of hand by not calling yeah. Boston for anything. <laughs> Doesn't take away from the fact that Kadri is just deserves whatever the league gives him here for that cross check. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no excuse for that, but yeah, the the refs really didn't help that uh, that game out. So it's tied one one, and that'll be damn interesting moving forward because I'm hoping this one goes to seven games and they just beat the crap out of each other. So as you guys <laughs> can see, happen. if you are if you're joining us for only Forever Mighty stuff, we talk a lot about NHL stuff as we digressed into an NHL pod here for a minute, um, yeah. which we'll be doing over the course of summer for you people who are Patreons. We're going to be putting out uh, NHL shows here. Uh, covering the playoffs and, and doing the same thing, giving you guys your money's worth for shows. But uh, that's it for us today, guys, for the uh, Forever Mighty Season recap show. We'll be back, like I said. We're doing a draft analysis show with Steve Corianos, draft an, uh, draft analyst, I believe is his uh, his Twitter handle, right, Eddie? Yeah, yeah, we, well, yeah we'll have that um, previewing the draft. That will probably come up in a bit because we got to wait to see, uh, get a better idea after the first round of where the Ducks could get with that second first round pick. And, uh, I mean, we might do... Another show, because we, we do have some other stuff, like an off-season outlook kind of show, because we do want to look at free agency a bit and, uh, and and some more situations with that draft and the prospects. Ducks have some. We might have another show before the draft show, just kind of looking forward to the off-season. It all depends on how much content we have. But we had a lot of extra stuff today, too, that we could throw into that. Yeah, yeah and I think, aren't we going to do, like, every round, we're going to kind of preview and do predictions, too? I would like to do something like that. Yeah, we'll get together and uh, we'll put something there that's fun that we can do predictions. We should put we should put something on the line for that too, not just bragging rights. Yeah, oh, uh, mine are probably bench. already out my, the window. I think half of mine are busted because I, <laughs> I well, who had the Islanders? Did any of us have the Islanders winning? I had Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay. God, I hate so. the Islanders. Are they losing? <laughs> or are they winning right now? Does anybody know? Anybody in chat know? Before uh, I check, let me see how irritated I'm going to be today. Yeah. Oh They're, God. Really? Pittsburgh didn't look all that great. Islanders are up 2-1. God, dude. All right, well, I can't wait for 7 o'clock tonight because that Vegas Sharks game in Vegas is going to be ridiculous. So that's what I'm looking forward to. But, hey, everybody, got to stop ranting. Jay's got to take off, and uh, we'll talk to you guys here in a a couple weeks at at most, I believe, for our next show. So we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, guys. See you. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.